0: That was awesome. That was awesome. Thank you, Jesus, for a fun worship team and a fun worship experience this morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Rock. It's good to see you all in spite of the snow, because of the snow. You get a hug too, Tom. You guys be good. Ah, man, what an opportunity we have to come together with family and worship Worship Jesus. Thank you, Trey, for bringing the word last week. Uh, That was a solid word. If you didn't get a chance, if you weren't here, you didn't get a chance to listen to it yet. It's on our, I believe. I shouldn't have. I should have cleared that. Is it on our? I think it's on our website or on the iTunes. You can check it out. And thank you. Many people didn't know this, but I was supposed to lead worship last week and had zero voice. So Tom pinch hit last week for me. So thank you so much, Tom. And last week's worship was just like this week. It was absolutely off the charts. It was a great time. This is a fun church body to be a part of, and it's a fun time to be a part of it. There's, a, there's an energy in, I was just talking to a guy this past week about, there's an energy here. Anybody anybody ever uh, drive under like high power lines and you just kind of feel yourself tingle a little bit? That's what it feels like walking in here. It's like, whew, there's an electricity, there's an energy, and it's... It is a blessing to be a part of this family. I hope that you all feel the same, that it is an opportunity that we have to join together. Uh, being a part of this church family isn't what it takes to go to heaven. We know that. This, isn't, this is just a way that we get to live together, encouraging each other, as we've talked about iron sharpening iron, that we can sharpen one another to go and do the work of the ministry. It's such an important thing. Um, we're gonna look at we're going to look at something this morning as a church family. We're going to start looking at something. I'm not going to promise that we're going to complete it. But we did it, I think it was two years ago. I couldn't exactly find my notes on it, which is odd because I do such a great job of saving all of my teaching stuff in very organized fashion. That was a little bit of a joke. My wife has always told me, you need to do folders on your computer, but I struggle with that concept. So I just look everywhere. It's with anything. Some of my teaching stuff is with pictures. Some of it's, it's everywhere. So I couldn't find it exactly what the date was, but I started doing a couple years ago this idea of a perspective Sunday. Does anybody remember talking about that? Where perspective, perspective is a simple thing, it just means how you are looking at what you are looking at, the angle of which you are looking at it, and this is a big thing for us as believers, and I think it's something that, and I was just visiting with Trey a little bit this morning about it, is largely, uh, it's shaped by who goes before us, and Sometimes it's limited by whoever goes before us. Sometimes it's opened up, but sometimes it's limited, and we we can only see through this particular lens or this particular angle. I kind of want to blow that up a little bit for us this morning and help us to see, I believe, this new covenant that we are in is so much greater than this tangible life. It's so much bigger than things we can touch, things we can feel with our carnal senses, It goes beyond, in fact, in in much of the church today, much of Christianity today has relegated God's faithfulness to the tangible. In other words, we'll look at real simple, God is faithful if I have food on my plate. Which is fine as long as we have food on our plate, but what happens the day you don't have food on your plate and then it's like, so would God not be faithful now? Like I'm the first person He's been faithful for 6,000 plus years and then today, in my life, he's not faithful? Or could it be that God's faithfulness is so much bigger than what is sitting on my plate or not sitting on my plate? It's so much bigger than what's in my account or not in my account or what's in my bones or not in my bones. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the magnitude of it, the sheer magnitude of it, demands that we probably won't be able to see all of it in this life. In fact, I dare say, we probably won't see most of it in this life. That's not a, I'm not speaking curses or taking anything away, but just because we live 80, 90, 100 years, I'm banking on 120 like Moses, but a few years, a few decades that we live, we're not gonna see even, we're not even gonna begin to see. If you think of the gospel and compare it to a diamond. A diamond has many facets many sides, many, and they're all beautiful. And it's because of all those sides that a diamond has such tremendous value. All of these little sides, the little facets, all the little smooth surfaces, and they reflect light every which way. That's a, a, just a tiny little microcosm of how this gospel, it's like, so we're going to spend 80, 90, 120 years staring at one edge of it, while there's thousands. In fact, thousands doesn't, Do it justice. So we're going to look at this morning's, if I was going to have a title for this morning, it would be Perspective Sunday 2023. This is a, and we talked about this a little bit this past summer, but I really want to kind of lay an outline for where we're headed, what we're going to dig deep into this year, and this is all we've ever dug into. You might hear, get to the end of this morning's teaching and say, that sounds a lot like what we looked at last year. Yes, and the year before. And we're going to continue looking at it. We're going to continue unpacking and looking deep into the gospel. So this morning, actually, literally, as we were getting ready to leave this morning to come to church, the Lord kind of dropped this in me this uh, this kind of thought on what we're going to look at. Has, Has anybody here ever read through the Bible? Whether it's, I mean, it could be Romans, Ephesians, any. Especially, I'm looking at the epistles. Have you ever read through them and thought, "Man, I have done this many times. I wish." I could have heard Paul preach, or James preach, or hear, and this is what lately I've been thinking about, I just would love to hear some discussions. Like I would love to hear Paul just discussing with Silas while they're traveling about all kinds of stuff, the hardships that he endured, the good things that he endured, the, his transformation from being the Pharisee of Pharisees, the worst of the worst opposing Christianity, actually being okay to kill Christians, to being the chief author in the New Testament. I would love to just hear those conversations. And this morning, the Lord kind of dropped into me. He said, you know, I did you one better. And I was like, I mean, I'm not questioning you, but I'm maybe not understanding you right now. And it was as clear as a bell. He said, how many times have you lost an argument with your wife, and 10 minutes later, you've thought of exactly what you would have needed to answer it properly? And I'm like, That's a great point. point. How exactly does that work here? And he said, the letters that I preserve for you in scripture are the result of all these conversations. Many of the conversations, I believe that Paul and Silas and all of his people, all these different authors that they engaged in would have been fine, but these are what they had time, these are their thought out, well-versed reactions to all of these conversations. We're going to look this morning at the book of Romans, a few different passages in the book of Romans, and we're not, it's not exhaustive on Romans at all. Romans is one of my favorite books in the Bible. But we're going to look at that, and I was thinking about this with relationship to Romans. You know he had many discussions, countless discussions, that led up to the penning of this verse, or of this chat book. So he wrote all of this stuff out after carefully thinking about conversations he had with Joseph, conversations he had with Stephen, conversations he had with all of these different people throughout all of Scripture, all these conversations with Samuel at this church in Philippi, we were talking, and and you know what? This is clarity from that discussion. This is clarity from this discussion. Things that the Holy Spirit quickened on the inside of him that were responsive, even if we, we don't necessarily know, well, Rome sent him a letter first, and this is his reply. Not even that. I'm just talking in general, he had time, boiled it all down, and then it was preserved for us. The creme de la creme, the top. The best of the best has been preserved for us. The clearest of the clearest. Paul had countless discussions on every one of these passages in Romans that were a discussion unto themselves and a discussion unto themselves. But what God preserved for us was the contextual whole of these books. Does that make sense to anybody? It's like he had all this time to think, a lifetime of walking, seeking the Lord, because we know even in his Early days, he was seeking the Lord. It was just, his methods were a little off for the new covenant, but he was spent his whole lifetime and it all boiled down and he had time to pen things. And I love, absolutely love that when these books were written, there was no computers. Now you might say, why would you love that? Because, and this was not part of his teaching, but it's something I want us to think about a little bit. When these letters were penned, There was no backspace. There was no copy and paste. There was no Googling things. And there was no limitless supply of virtual ink on your computer screen. So as Paul and the authors of the New Testament wrote these things down, understand, church, nobody's ever thought more and been more intentional with a word penned than they were, they got one sheet. We got one sheet of paper. This is all we got. Remember, a lot of these letters were written in prison. How many of you know that your resources are not unlimited in prison? He was operating on a very limited budget to run Paul's Macedonian mission, or whatever his mission. I assume he had an LLC of some kind, or a, a, whatever you call five hundred one c three or four or whatever, and whatever he was, whatever his resources were, they were limited, and so he took care and thought and meditation, and he listened to the Spirit. It wasn't just like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I mean, how many of us, words are so cheap today in our culture, it's like, I'm gonna send this text out and then, oh, I'm gonna delete that. That was, oh, I'm gonna send, then, oh, I'll delete that. We write and delete thousands of words in our lifetime when in Paul's day, if it was a recorded word, it cost him something. He had some ink involved, he had some paper. So I say all that to say, I want us to learn to continue to learn, to make much of these written words that have been preserved for us and to look deeply in them, to understand them, to not cheapen them and just snatch a verse here and snatch a verse there and let's assemble a doctrine based on those couple. It's like with those couple verses it works. I didn't get it done, but I want to do a word search, the original number of words in the Greek that are in the New Covenant. And realistically, church, we got to understand, you could make these words say about whatever you want. There's that many different words in the new, te- new covenant or the old covenant in, these, in this recorded. So it's really, really important that we don't just, let's just snatch a few here and snatch a few there and, and we'll just put them all together and that kind of feels good and we'll call it a denomination and then we'll start a church and now it's like, now there's entire groups of people that their perspective... The way they're looking, the way they're viewing this gospel has all been shaped by some out-of-context things that we've assembled, thrown together, haphazard fashion because it feels good, looks good, works right now. And then generations of believers are stuck with this little, I don't know, that's a strange way to look at that. There could be some holes in that. Instead of, like Paul says, taking the whole counsel of the Godhead, understanding everything in context, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. We're going to read these, and then we're going to get started on our teaching this morning. If you want to follow along, they'll be up on the screen, or you can follow along in your Bibles. Romans chapter 8, picking up in verse 31. Paul's letter to the church, this is kind of, we're jumping in the middle of this letter written to the church at Rome, which is a letter, in, and you get this if, when you read this whole book in context, this was a letter clarifying this gospel of grace, drawing, bringing clarity out. Now, you might think, well, this isn't really a corrective letter. It's not, but it's a clarifying letter. There's a lot of things in here that's like, this is how, this is why. Do you understand? I'll, I'll walk you through it again. This is how, this is why. So we're going to pick up verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? God's chosen. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus, that's you. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, even the sword? For as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37, yet in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I'm convinced, that neither death nor life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things that are here right now, tangible things right now, or things to come, things we haven't seen yet, or height or depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This passage speaks of a tenacity. When I think of the word tenacity, I think of like a Doberman pincher or a a Rottweiler, when they take a hold of something, it's just like they aren't letting go. There's this tenacity just, I mean, it's just brimming at the top of this passage. This whole thing is like it's full of this. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This holding fast that Paul's talking about, this perspective of holding on no matter what. His belief system is not to be shaken by, according to Romans chapter eight here, anything. His belief system is not up for grabs. It's rooted and seated so far below the surface of his life, it's unreachable by natural things. Untouchable. It's impossible to have that level of tenacity, that level of rock-solid belief system if all he had was mental assent i agree theoretically it's possible there's a god it's possible yep i mental assent is that's just all up here it's all above your chin there's no heart in mental assent it's just i think it's plausible it's possible it may it may be it may be a thing and unfortunately this is where a lot of christianity spends most of our lives it's possible that god is always good but we look we have to see it. We think we've got to see his goodness in, it's got to play out in the natural or I'm, it's, just, it's, like, it's just a theory. In theory, God is good all the time. In practice, it really leaves a lot to be. De- Does that make sense to everybody? That's where we spend a lot of time in this mental ascent. But you know, and Melinda and I have spent some time, and you guys all are aware this last year was a difficult year for our family. And we did a lot of thinking. We've done a lot of processing, a lot of kind of debriefing from the last year and some of the hardship, the difficulty that we wandered through. And uh, I don't believe any of the things that we walked through were God's plan for our lives at all. Um, And yet, I also believe that God has shown us things through them. Like there's been things where, you guys remember the metaphor, I was working on a piece of equipment a long time ago and I always hold my flashlight in my mouth and I was working on it. I dropped my flashlight and when I dropped my flashlight, it just happened to land so I could see exactly what I needed to see which is a perfect, you know, the Holy Spirit was like, see, look at that. It wasn't that I planned to drop it, it dropped, it fell, and I was able to see clearly. In similar fashion, life can fall and land all cattywampus, and then sometimes we can see things that we couldn't see before. Kind of a concept of, of perspective. And you know... I've unpacked some stuff in my life the last year that I've realized was largely mental assent. Things that I had assented to in my mind, maybe even documented some, certainly researched quite a bit, but it it never made it. It was just chin level, never made it down. And I've kind of unpacked some of that stuff, and a lot of it has largely been through Paul's writings, that I've got to see that this gospel that we believe, this gospel that we preach, the gospel that has saved us, past tense saved us if you believe in Jesus, is so much bigger than this physical life. This passage in Romans that we just read, is it's couched right in the midst or in the context of the greatest expose on grace and this new covenant that we have access. This is my opinion. I believe Romans is the greatest expose on grace and the new covenant we have access to in the New Testament. There's a lot of great passages, but... Romans is such an all-inclusive one. Earlier in this letter to believers in Rome, we hear Paul explain that even in hardship and tribulations, we can glory. This perspective does not exalt hardship or difficulties. Hear me, church. Hear me clearly. This perspective does not exalt hardship or difficulty. Rather, it removes the enemy's teeth from these areas or seasons of life. This is a different way to think about it. A lot of I, as Trey and I were just talking this morning there's ditches on both sides of the walk the path of faith the ditches on either side. you can end up in a ditch where where everything bad is what God wanted to do in our lives and he's you know what's he trying to teach me through everything that goes bad everything is god's will there's that ditch and then there's the other ditch that unless we're knocking down six figures and have not a care in the world, we question God. It's like, well, I'm, I'm not doing something right to experience all of God's faithfulness. There's these two ditches. And we're actually living somewhere in the middle of these. And in the middle of these, we see, not that God's plan is for hardship at all, but when you see, when we read that even in tribulation, shall tribu- what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, no. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Peril? Talk about an all encompassing word. As I was reading through this, I'm like, peril? And it's like, just any sort of peril. Can peril, boy, peril sure seems like it separates me from peace a lot. Anybody else walked that? Where you can, peril's such a big word. It's like, I don't know, it could, it could be peril along the road could be peril in my marriage. It could be peril in my finances. Any kind of peril. It cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Sword. That seems like it would be fairly effective. That was was the most deadly weapon that they had at the time. Can the sword separate you? It seems like if anything could, the sword could. Nope. And then he goes on. He's like, as it is written, sort of a case in point, For your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, even in all of those things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. then he goes on in verse 38. says, I am persuaded neither death, life, all of the natural things. And then he goes into spiritual things. Holy cow, pun intended. Holy cow, nothing can separate us from the love of God. What that declaration establishes, church, is it removes all the teeth. So the enemy comes in and tribulation is present in our lives. If we say, this cannot separate me from the love of God, the enemy just lost his teeth. Because how many of you know the enemy's always, it says it's seat, roaming about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to get us alone. The enemy, the lions hunt. They don't ever eviscerate an entire flock of, or herd of antelope. They get the herd of antelope running. And then, little by little, an antelope falls off to the side. That's the one they're going to eat. It's the easiest prey. That's what the, the enemy hunts the exact same way. Gets us alone. Gets us separated from each other, and we've talked about this. Gets us, tries to get us separated from the love of God. Through what? Peril, sword, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, principalities, powers, things that have come, things we're experiencing now, things that we're worried about coming that are coming down. What about this? How many of you have ever laid awake at night worrying about something in the future? I, would say, I dare say if we're being honest to tell you the truth, most of us have. And yet Paul's laying out none of these things have any teeth for a believer. Now what he doesn't say is you're never going to walk through these. It's a lot of, you might hear it preached that way. It's like, well, because you know, we're more than conquerors, we're not gonna, no, we might walk through, we may walk through any of these. We may not walk through all of them. His promise isn't, well, you're never gonna walk through these. He says, in all these things, you're beyond a conqueror. How, think about it like this. Okay, Paul got to a place in his walk with the Lord where he could confidently write, and again, remember, he didn't write this like, a, like we type a text. This is like thought out words on his last sheet of paper possibly with his last little bit of ink, dabbing it in, writing it down. He said, for me to live, continue living naturally, that's Christ. For me to die, also gain. How do you get a guy like that down? If that's actually his understanding, how do you pin him down? How do you knock him down? How do you get, I mean, fear is the most controlling emotion that humans experience, that natural humanity can experience. Well, if if you're not afraid of living, and you're not afraid of dying, we have no stick with which to beat you. And consequently, there's no carrot with which to lure you. We know who we are. Paul knew who he was. There was nothing was gonna come against him. You could pull the rug out from under him. You could, you know what? We're gonna saw you in two, Paul thank Jesus I will be with the Lord because for I know, and then he goes on. It's like every threat that was brought against Paul was an opportunity for the gospel. You wanna saw me into? Well, let me tell you something. If I leave this body, I'll be present with the Lord, which is all I've been living for. Bring it on, let's get this all, I'm ready to go. Now, it wasn't that he was anticipating, like, please saw me into. It was just, there was no teeth, no threat had any leverage, had any teeth. Why do you think this is? because he had an understanding of the greatness of this gospel. We see in Romans chapter 5, this is what I had referenced earlier, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 reads, Therefore, having been justified by faith, which is believing something we haven't seen yet, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace, unmerited, unearned favor in which we stand. So we're not standing here because we earned it, we deserve it, our life looks like we should be there, any of that. Grace, unmerited honor in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which was given to us. Paul's understanding of both, hear me out, church, victorious living on the earth and also absolute difficult, downright hard times was unparalleled. He had dined at the table with the elites as an elite. And he had been wrongfully arrested, tortured, starved, attempted to be murdered, shipwrecked, and everything in between. He had a unique perspective that is worth looking into at great detail. The reason I bring this up is I believe where we find ourselves in human history right now, this is a great place to live, it's a great time to be alive. There's good things going on. We're blessed all kinds of every which way. There's people that right now in this world, though, are living in pretty hard times. Very hard times. And our gospel that we preach cannot be one that is just functioning here. It has to function everywhere or it's not true. The gospel is bigger than the tangible and it's my prayer that as we get a hold of this gospel with absolute clarity we'll be able to reflect it as Trey talked about last week just like the moon the moon as long as there's clouds we can't see the moon's reflection but boy when there's when it's clear and there's no clouds we can actually see the sun via reflection through the moon his experience Paul's experience wasn't simply we can survive the difficult. There's a lot of there's a lot of that kind of mentality out there too. It's like, well, I'm going to grip my teeth and buddy, I'm going to make it through. I'll just hold on and hope that it's over soon. No. And this is what I love about this passage in Romans chapter 5. Paul's he's not only removing the enemy's teeth, he's saying, see this, just like Joseph explained to his brothers, the enemy meant this all for evil watch my God, use it for good. His experience wasn't that we can simply survive the difficult, but rather that even our worst days can be snatched from the jaws of defeat. We can choose to see that the goodness of God is not limited to earthly happenings, but that it transcends even the most difficult to bring about our good. We know that Paul wrote, God works all things together for our good, for the good of them that love him, that are called according to his purpose. And yet we look around, it's like, this is a really difficult situation. It is, there's a lot of difficult, many of you, I mean, we, we've shared as a body, it, both individually and corporately, there's difficult things we've walked through. And how many of you know, if you look for it, you'll see God not working, causing the evil, but bringing about good in the midst of it. It's just, this is a side thing, but much of Christianity today has turned this whole concept around to mean that God is the author of all things and somehow the cause behind all evil and hardship. It's sad to me that God's ability, hear me out, church, his ability to walk through with us through the valley of the shadow, bring about good out of evil and out of difficulty, that's been twisted around to where now much of the church sees him as the author of that evil and difficulty. As a, as a dad, I'm learning, and uh, Valerie, when, I, when we had Taya, she shared a word, she might not remember, she shared a word with me that she said, you will understand the Father's heart through your children more than you ever have before. I don't know if you remember delivering that or not. I'll never forget it. And I have seen it. I have seen my father's heart well up in little ways where I like, and it breaks my heart to see how much of Christianity sees their dad like he's the author of this. Instead of seeing him, he's the one that's gonna bring about the good. This is difficult. This world's broken. This world ain't fixed yet. There's all kinds of stuff that's not right. And we experience it, we bump into it in this life. And our Father will bring about the good even when we bump into that stuff. Remember, this is the same man, this Paul, who wrote that he had learned the secret of contentment. Philippians chapter four, verses 10 through 14, I'm gonna read this here. Uh, This is the end of a letter that he wrote to the Philippian uh, church. We'll pick up in verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly That now, at your last care for me, has flourished again. Though you surely did, did care, but you lacked opportunity. They had been generous in Paul's ministry. Now, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in, or whatever condition I am in, to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. To abound and to suffer need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. You see, Paul laying out here that our earthly existence is transitory at best. We just we've talked about this a little bit today, but this time that we spend here, it's you know, it's explained all through scripture as it's here for a moment, it's like a morning fog. It's here, just for a moment, and then a flower, it blooms, and then it's gone. Our earthly existence is just about like that. Paul understood this life here. It comes and it goes. There's times that we live in plenty. There's times that difficulty comes. The goodness of our God, the greatness of this gospel, is so much bigger, so much greater than our plenty or our lack, that in that we can be content. He's not elevating living in want. You don't see here him saying, it really would be better if everybody was starving. It's not what he says, and he doesn't also elevate tremendous prosperity. Rather, he's deftly articulating that everything, every fiber of his being was about the business of the gospel wherever he found himself, he was content to share the gospel. Whether he had, if he was hungry, he was gonna share the gospel hungry. If he was full, he was gonna share the gospel full. Wherever he was, when he was in house arrest, it's like, I got a guard with me all the time. Interestingly enough, I'm sharing the gospel. This guard has no interest in the gospel initially, but he has to be with me, and I'm not gonna shut up. So I'm gonna keep preaching the gospel. Lo and behold, now this guard, he's telling his buddies about it. It's like, well, I was with Paul, I was with him all last week and he's like teaching about the gospel, it's Jesus. And I was like, you heard about this Jesus? Yeah, I've heard about this Jesus. And it, all of a sudden, he's like, so the gospel's going forth. His goal wasn't house arrest. Paul wasn't like, I would, would that everyone was in house arrest. No, his, his goal was, I would that everyone was preaching the gospel, Sharing Jesus with everybody around. We talked about this a couple weeks ago about how our job and our role in here, in this body, does not exempt us from sharing the gospel in the world. That's our, that's our ultimate job. Our jobs here, this is about body health. It's about all of us staying healthy and helping each other with what we need, sharpening each other. But our commission out there, gospel, gospel, gospel. Whoever we encounter, it's the gospel. We end up with a guard strapped to our side. Let's get the guard born again. Jesus loves the guard too. You end up wherever you end up. However circumstances unfold in our lives, and I'm not, I don't want anyone to take away from this that I am preaching that we're just a victim of whatever happens. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm trying to clearly portray is that Paul understood the greatness of this gospel to be far bigger than the functions of this earthly life. Wherever he found himself, he was content to share the gospel. The magnitude of this gospel dwarfs every circumstance and every situation. It dwarfs it. Every earthly thing is subject to the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come to earth to die on our behalf that we might live eternally, starting right now with him. Hebrews 11, we're not gonna read it all, but Hebrews 11 speaks of this similar, unquenchable faith. It was beyond, like I said, all of these references that we've looked at, they're beyond mental assent. Like you can only mentally assent to a certain point and then at some point you're like, no, 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 I'm not gonna die for that. I would rather not be sawn in two for something that I just sort of think might be a decent concept. This was something that was more real and and as I look across this room, I see so many faces of people that I know this has blown so far beyond mental ascent. I mean, our room, we, we are a body with some crazy fun people that have walked by faith for years, and it's exciting. It is exciting to be part of this body, and honestly, I encourage us all, we're going we're gonna to be looking at doing some uh, family spotlights in the future on individual because our body has grown and shifted and there's some of you may be like, I don't know whoever sits on the other side, and you might just know the people that are in your group or your section that you're sitting with. But we're gonna do some family spotlights so that I give you guys all a chance to just take time and share some of your testimony, who you are, where you're from, whatever. And and in that it's my prayer that we learn to lean on one another, that we learn to draw strength from one another, to hear the Holy Spirit through one another. Because like I said, as I look across this body, Man, if I was in prison, I'd be looking forward to letters from every single one of you guys. Encouragement, things to encourage. And I would be doing my best to send letters to each of you, just as Paul showed us. But Hebrews 11 speaks of this similar unquenchable belief, this unquenchable faith. It's like there's nothing you can do. Nothing that you can do to set, that we will not be separated. Psalm 23, we see King David, he uh, lends us a little insight into this whiff us mentality. It reads, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Verse four, and yea, even though I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. King David monologues all through the Psalms, the emotional and mental, as well as physical roller coaster ride that we nearly all ride to one degree or another as we grow in the awareness of God's presence with us. It is a roller coaster ride, ain't it, Tom? We got ups and we got downs and we are learn to trust him and, and then we, we understand one facet of his goodness and then the roller coaster goes up and then we see another facet of his goodness. And King David, I'm so thankful for the Psalms because he carefully notated the ups, the downs, the twists, the turns. I don't know what you're doing, God. Oh, but I know you're here. And we see, we can see God's faithfulness even in his lack of understanding sometimes. This with reality revealed in Psalm 23 plays such a big role in our ability to press on towards the goal, to hold fast to what we believe regardless of our circumstances. These passages we've looked at, indeed, even the lives of the early church, they point us to their perspective. As I shared where I started this and the title of this message this morning is Perspective Sunday, 2023. What is our perspective? And I I encourage us all to ask ourselves this morning, this week, what is our perspective? Perspective as defined in the American Heritage Dictionary reads, and this is just, this is a fragment of the definition of it, but it's, it's a clear understanding. It's an understanding of how aspects of a subject relate to each other and to the whole. It is a subjective evaluation of relative significance, relative as they relate to each other's significance, a point of view. The ability to perceive things, listen, I love this last line, the ability to perceive things in their actual interrelations or comparative importance. Our ability to perceive the gospel in its actual interrelation with us and comparative importance with our surroundings. Our ability to perceive the gospel, the goodness of God, in its actual interrelation relation with us. It's intersections, how we interact with the gospel, and its comparative importance. This is the sum of my message this morning for you. What I believe the Lord is really drawing us into as a church is understanding the comparative importance of this gospel. You know, we don't even have a, in our natural mind, without Spiritual understanding, it is beyond us to understand eternity. Eternity. Wow. And so, unfortunately, a lot of Christianity, since we can't understand eternity and the eternal nature of the gospel, we've relegated it to like, well, let's just make it like the shape of us. Let's just make it the shape of our natural existence. We'll just make it, and and what the Lord has really just drawn into me is this If we can touch it, it's too small. If we can make it this like we can see all the sides of it, it's too small. The gospel's so much bigger than anything that we can get our head around, our mind around, our understanding around, it is, it blows it out. It's important, it's utmost important for us today to develop our perspective on everything in context with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I got one more little metaphor for us, and then we're gonna be kind of trending towards wrapping it up. Think of, and just think with me, think of the stars with a telescope. So you get a real, real, real super powerful telescope, and you look at the stars, and it's like, ooh, wow, you can see all kinds of stuff. Uh, You can see, um, you zoom in on a region of the sky, that particular region becomes clearer and clearer. And we can see them with great detail. All the stars, and then we can, if you keep zooming, you can see galaxies. And it's like, oh heavens, there's stars that go on for seemingly ever. Stars upon stars upon stars. And remember, we're just looking through this tiny itsy-weensy, it's like, a little bit. And it shows us all of that. But you know, on a clear night in the desert, with no city lights around, when you gaze upward, you see the stars in context. You see them in context. I spent some time out west. Uh, I was on the wheat harvest for a couple of years, and there's not city lights out there, where we, where, at least where the wheat fields are, there's not city lights like there is around here. There's no, like, like, orange hues that you can see off in the distance. It's just, like, dark. Like, when the sun goes down, the lights are out. Unless you got lights on your vehicle. Well, there was, a lot of, there was some nights that we spent harvesting late, late, late into the night. And the HID lights on combines were just kind of a thing. They were just getting started. They weren't really a big thing yet. So the fields were still pretty dark, even when the combines were running. And I remember, I distinctly remember the first summer, uh, I was sitting along the field waiting for, we were harvesting a particularly poor wheat crop. So we spent a lot of time sitting in our trucks waiting to get loaded. And uh, I was sitting in, the, sitting in the field, and I thought, I want to go up and sit on top of my hopper, the trailer I was pulling. So I went up, and I actually laid across the back of the hopper because I was waiting for a while. This was in like a 900-acre field in Oklahoma or Texas or somewhere. And I laid there, and it was like the Lord flipped the lights on. I've never seen stars like I saw that night. It was literally like I didn't even know there were really stars shining brightly until I laid back and I looked, and it was stars completely every which way I could see, and they were bright. This is what I saw this morning, last night, sometime when I was going over this, looking through details. I'm like, that's the gospel in context. Looking through a telescope, we can zoom in, and we can see one little facet. We can see one little, and it's huge, and understand there is there's an angle of that that lends itself to the gospel being the further you look, the further you see. Okay, I don't want to rob from that, church. But in context, it's like everywhere you look with a telescope, you're going to see that. Everywhere you look, that's the closest I can come to describing to you the magnitude of this gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus loves us so much. God the Father created humanity and fell in love with them. He fell in love with you and he said, I'm coming for you. You're broken beyond what you know you're broken. I'm going to fix you beyond what you know you've been fixed. I will send my son. It's how much I love you. Worship team, if you want to come forward, if you got any, if you want to come forward, that'd be awesome. The love of the father was poured out So effectively, 2,000 years ago on the cross, that it's still effective today, and it will be effective 10 billion years from now. We don't understand, you know, we we talk around, you know, there's a big, if you watch any news, pay attention to the news, it used to be, when I was growing up, the big word was million, million. Remember, who wants to be a millionaire? Everybody want to be a millionaire. Well, how many of you know that million, it's just kind of lost its luster for humanity? We, we care a lot more about billion now, don't we? I mean, if I'm gonna sit down and write a story and I wanna make it to the front page of something, it better not have the word million in it. It's gotta have billion. Or trillion, if we're talking about national debt. But we really like billion. That's a fun, it's like, I wanna be, nobody says, man, I wanna be a millionaire. Everybody says, I wanna be a billionaire. Well, I spent some time and I don't have these numbers. I wish I would have had these numbers. But I spent some time a while ago just like kind of trying to understand a, a billion is a hard thing to wrap your, my little peanut brain around. And the difference between a billion and a million is wow. It's, I mean, and that's just like just two numbers. Compare the gospel, which is eternal. It goes and never stops not just in time, like we think about it in time, like, well, yeah, we're just going to live forever. We're going to sit on a cloud and play our little harp. No, that's not. The gospel is, has no bounds, time or otherwise. It is not bound to what we can see, to what we can taste, to what we can touch, what we can feel in this natural life. Jesus poured out his blood on the cross, which was perfect blood. It was perfect blood that was shed on our behalf. You know, the blood type of a baby is determined by the Father. So while Mary wasn't perfect, the blood type selected by the Father God for Jesus was perfect. It's the only perfect blood that's ever existed. It's the only perfect blood that had ever existed. And it was shed on our behalf. He said, I'll do what they can't do. In fact, I dare say, church, he said, I'll do what they can't even understand. They don't even know. We've got this, and and this is where all the letters that Paul wrote, all the correction that was given was all given, and if you look at it, and I would go point for point on this, all the correction that Paul gave was drawing our attention off of the physical and to the spiritual. Whenever somebody gets into, like, well, they get all twisted up in some kind of sin. Well, we're stuck in the physical again. You get all twisted up in some sort of self-righteousness. We're stuck in the physical again. It's all when we start, we get out our, our earthly tape measures and we start measuring ourselves. We say, oh, we don't measure up or ooh, we do measure up. It's all focused on the physical and Paul's like, get your head, lift your head up, look up, look up. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. Stay spiritually focused. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's bigger than all of this. And our correction, what I believe the Holy Spirit is consistently correcting my soul, my mental, my emotional, my understanding is always off the physical, Isaac, off the physical. Stop looking at yourself. You're looking at yourself again. Wake up in the morning, you're doing it again. You're doing it again. You're looking at yourself. Look at me. Look at me at me. I made you righteous. You didn't make yourself righteous. You're not going to keep yourself righteous. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. I gave it to you. Just look at me. Just trust me. Take my hand. Trust me. Take my hand. The universe that we exist in is so magnificent. Its scale and its scope are bigger than our wildest imagination. God created all of it. And even the magnificence of our galaxies and our universe, they all pale in comparison with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're big, they're beautiful. They're smaller and uglier than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing bigger, there is nothing greater than the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the active form of the Father's heart and his love for each of you. If you would join me, join me in standing, I'd like to dismiss us with a declaration and we're gonna sing a fun song this morning. Worship this king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. Here at Revelation Rock, we are believing believers. This is not just something that we do, quote unquote, or participate in, rather. Walking with Jesus is a way of life. With King David, we acknowledge that it is the Lord who is our shepherd. It's his presence with us that dispels all fear, regardless of the things that may come against us. At the rock, we are thankful. We choose to be thankful in all things. We declare with thanksgiving that the gospel is greater than any difficulty or any hardship. We draw on the joy of the Lord for strength, the peace that we have received through Christ to sustain us. Because of this great gospel, We choose to walk with boldness into a world that is not yet fixed. We choose to carry this gospel with confidence to our society that desperately needs it. We declare the blessing of Abraham over this family as we go from this place, looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but as the righteousness of God created in Christ Jesus, we choose to walk with the boldness of a lion, knowing that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Your blessed church, go with boldness.